Work-life balance. It's a wonderful word, but as a vet, it feels like an unachievable dream. You're wanting to find more time for personal relationships and hobbies. You want to look after your well-being, but your work conditions are holding you back. To rub salt in the wound, when you do find time for family and friends, you're so drained of energy, you feel like you've got nothing left to give. How can you improve work-life balance in a job where it seems impossible to do so? In today's episode, you're going to find out how. Stuck in your veterinary career and need help making change? My name is Steve O'Ely and my mission is to help you take the next steps in your career so you can find more happiness and fulfillment in your job and your life. You're listening to Next Step Vet. Join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. Is having work-life balance achievable? Is it realistic as a veterinary professional? What does work-life balance even mean to me? These are likely questions you've had running through your head. Today, you're going to hear an episode of my old podcast, Escape the 9 to 5, where I talked about the same issues you're facing, only to a wider range of working professionals. You want a successful career, hopefully in some way associated with the veterinary industry. You want to earn good money, but you're also getting stressed out, not spending enough time with friends and family, barely any time for hobbies, let alone time to look after your health and well-being. Something's got to give. Who better to discuss work-life balance than with Nigel Marsh? Nigel is an advertising executive who lost his job with four young kids and decided to remain unemployed for a year to spend more time with his family and figure out what work-life balance meant to him. He's since done a wildly popular TED Talk on work-life balance, authored multiple books, including Fat, Forty and Fired, hosts his own podcast, and speaks around the world about his experiences including at veterinary conferences. You're going to learn what time frame to measure work-life balance, why you can't take the world's problems on your shoulders, how to make change in your career, even if you're scared of making change. And I'll give you one simple challenge you can do today to improve your work-life balance. I'm the creator of Next Step Vet, Steve O'Ely. As well as being a vet, I'm also a career coach and podcaster. I used to work long hours in a corporate vet job I hated. I would come home from work drained of energy after long days consulting, having little time for my family, and didn't even bother signing up for any hobbies outside of work. Since then, I got life and career coaching did a stint in an industry role I enjoyed and have reinvented myself into a career coach specifically for vets. In the process, I've designed a career where I have control of my hours, 
job flexibility, and enjoy great work-life balance. Now, I'm going to help you do the same. We join the Escape the 9 to 5 episode with Nigel sharing how he went from a high-flying corporate to, in his own words, fat, 40, and fired. Well, I mean, I, I had a conventional career in the advertising industry. I, I had some small measure of success, so I was sent from UK to Australia to run the Australian companies of an American multinational. So I was just on a, on a standard, you know, career ladder. Um, the CEO of a couple of agencies in Australia. And, and long story short, I, I lost my job because they closed the company uh, a year after I arrived in Australia. So I was halfway around the world from where my friends and family were. I'd never been to the Southern Hemisphere before. I was 40, I was fat, I was alcoholic, and I was unemployed. So it was. It, it's difficult to explain now because things have sort of worked out subsequently. But at the time, you know, not many people want a 40-year-old unemployed advertising executive. I had four kids under the age of six, no friends or family in the country. So it was a pretty serious time. And I made a, a decision which, you know, depends. Is it irresponsible? Is it courageous? A bit of both, who knows, where I'm not going to just jump back into it. I'm going to try and change my life in every single way. I've got no security, no money, no nothing, but I, I don't really like how this is panning out. I've been following the rules that other people have set, that society has set, and look where that's got me. Halfway around the world, unemployed, thrown in the scrap heap. So I thought, yeah, sod it. I'm going to sort some things out. And so that changed my life from that day on. I mean, it, and it wasn't all roses. I, you know, no, I, I, I took a year out of the, the corporate space and gave up drink, lost weight, sorted some things out, put the things that were important to me at the centre of my life, not leave them at the edge. And ever since then, have lived my life in a slightly unconventional, different way. And was it the getting fired that was the catalyst to do all that, or was there already something bubbling away at the surface? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good question, Steve, because the truth is, I mean, I went to uni and I studied theology, which is not the sort of thing you do if you, if you don't question life a little bit. So I'd always been thinking about what's the point and is it all just about getting a BMW and renovating your house and, you know, is it just relentless consumption and whatever. But it's also true that if I hadn't lost my job, I wouldn't have done what I did. And that's a key part of the message that I have when I give, I'm hard to give speeches about this around the world, is for most people, it takes one of the big four, death, disease, divorce or redundancy, to make you do the proper reflection. And that was absolutely true for me. I was not clever enough to say, do you know what? I'm not, I don't like how my life is heading. I don't want to do another 10 years of this, so I'm going to change. I would have carried on. If they hadn't closed the firm, I would have carried on and yeah. I'd be talking to you now and I'd be six stone heavier and I'd be already had a drink and probably be divorced or whatever. So part of the reason why I agreed to come on a podcast like this or, or, or do a speech when I'm hired is if something that I say or something that I write can help just one other person do that reflection without one of the big four happening to them, then I'm a happy, I'm a happy bloke. You know, don't, don't go through what I had to go through or don't get a cancer diagnosis or don't let your husband or your wife walk out on you is, you know, maybe there are people out there who, 
who could benefit from just having a little think, reflecting on their life. You're not entirely happy in your job, and you know you'd like to do something different. But there's a level of comfort that's probably stopping you from doing anything about it. Inevitably, everyone ends up having a crisis in their lives that forces them to reconsider their job and their purpose in life. Are you prepared to wait until one of the big four, death, disease, divorce or redundancy, to make change? I ask Nigel how he thinks we can overcome that level of comfort that stops us making change. I mean, you need to be ready. It's a bit like giving up drink. You need to be ready for the message. So you, you shouldn't impose on people. But if they are having those types of conversations, is to get them to think about their funeral. You know, you, you look like, like you're a young spring chicken. I mean, how old are you? 32. 32, okay. So I, I find milestones quite important. When I was made redundant, I was 40, which is quite a useful age. But if you get to a certain age, you go, mate, this is it. This is the life that you're living. It's, it's different if you're 21 and you're starting out in a career and starting out in life. You've got to scramble and whatever. But it gets to a stage where you go, this isn't a joke. We're all heading to a hole in the ground. And when you are just on the edge of the grave, about to be pushed in, are you going to say, I'm really glad I made that extra sale or I got on the board or I was made a partner at the law firm? And... And many people, the answer might be yes. And that's great. So my message isn't everyone's got to do what I do. It's about authenticity and honesty. So yeah. it's getting people to project to what would happen when they look back. So like my guest, Bronnie Ware, she was, was a hospice nurse. She would talk to people on their deathbeds and say, what do you regret? And all of the men, without exception, said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Without exception. <laughs> So they're not, they're not joking or trying to be funny. They're on their deathbed in a hospice. And Bronnie Ware is saying, what do you regret? And they mention, you know, a, a number of things. But all of the men say, I wish I hadn't put things that are important behind work. And that doesn't mean we haven't got to work hard and pay the bills and be ambitious. But having a successful career that leads to a lonely old age full of regret is moronic. Yeah. I understand why people fall into it, but it's not the way. And it's too late when people write to me. I've had 30,000 emails, people writing to me. It, when they say, you know, I'm 70, Nigel. I don't know the names of any of my children's friends. I've been divorced twice. You know, what was it all for? It's quite hard to know what to say to them. But I'm talking to you and you look very nice and you're 32. And you go, well, mate, you've got your whole life ahead of you. That's great. Now, and that doesn't mean, you know, if, if you want to be the richest bloke in New Zealand and work really, really hard, and fine, knock yourself out, as long as that's what you actually want to do. But now, to start having those thoughts is a good thing, not a bad thing. Just to think about how is my life going to pan out? Because the truth, Steve, is outside of yourself, people don't care about you. And that shouldn't be surprising. That's not horrible. The government doesn't wake up saying, how are we going to make Steve's life meaningful? That your, your, your firm doesn't. It, it's, it's your job to design how you want to feel. If you're lucky, you've got 60 summers left. And it's up to you to decide how you're going to fill them. If you leave it to your employer or the church or the government, you know, forget it. And not because they're nasty, but, but they've, you know, it's personal responsibility. But even for young people, like I was literally in a car crash a month ago and someone ran a red light 
And if they'd hit me in the driver's door, I'd probably be in a wheelchair. But I just got lucky and they clipped the top of the vehicle. So it can happen to anyone. And you'd hope that people, if they're unhappy, would be considering things in the younger age, not when they're 70. Yes, and and I think it's a fine balance. And what you don't, what I'm very, very keen not to do is be too kumbaya, tree-huggy, and let people think that life isn't full of challenges and hard work and we have to do lots of things we don't want to do and you've got to be patient and all that stuff. You know, this, this sort of people having a midlife crisis at 19 and not, you know, you go, you know, toughen up, you know, cupcake. You know, life is hard. But to think about, and I talk about category norms. So if you are, are you a vet? Yes. Right. So if you hate animals, you probably shouldn't choose to be a vet. If you are scared of blood, you should probably shouldn't be a surgeon. If you hate heights, you shouldn't be a pilot. If you detest children, you probably shouldn't be a teacher. Right? There are certain jobs and categories of profession and life that are inevitably going to lead to a certain lifestyle because you can't get around. If you're a currency trader in New York, you get a bit shouted at and it's high stress. And nothing wrong with that. But if you don't like being shouted at and high stress, you shouldn't be a currency trader in New York. So... Rather than be moronically unrealistic and say, I want to be a vet, but I never want to meet an animal, you go, well, that's the job, mate. You're going to be meeting lots of animals, right? Is don't go into high-stress, high-pressured industries whose entire point is working really, really hard and being really, really competitive and making lots and lots of money and, you know, blah, 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 and squeezing as much out of you as you can if you don't like that type of stuff. Now, Now, my message is I think you could be successful, you can be wealthy, you can do a whole host of things and still have balance and meaning in your life. But you have to be realistic. If you're a long distance truck driver, you're not going to be home for kids tea. Yeah. Yeah. So the reflection as a young person is slightly different to a reflection as me as an, as an oldie. So I've, I've sort of done my dash, but to choose mindfully the way that you might make a living is a really, really good thing to do. But yep. the questions and the issue of work-life balance, one of the things I rail against is the morons that think there is one answer, that your answer is, the, is right for me or mine is right for you. I would never Absolutely. say that. It's, it's, a, it's an internal thing. But also that thinking that there's a set and forget answer. So you're building a family and you're a vet, so you're going to have to be, I'd imagine, running around doing a whole bunch of stuff. But when you're 69 and, and your kids have left home and you've retired you might have a different set of stuff. So it's, you've got to be flexible and mindful. It's not about, this is not, and I know, I know the pod's called not the nine to five, but I mean, with respect for some people, nine to five is great. What Nigel is saying here is you've got to do what works for you. I never started Escape the Nine to Five with the intention to give a prescription which would work for everyone. Not everyone necessarily needs to quit their corporate job and become a tree-hugging hippie who lives in the forest and works 12 hours a week. Find a work-life balance that works for you. Being made redundant forced Nigel to reflect on his life and he chose to take close to a year off, a huge financial cost. But what the year off allowed him to do was prioritize his family and also realise he enjoyed working as an advertising executive, just not to the point of being overworked and not seeing his family. His book, Fat 40 and Fired, 
is genuinely one of the funniest books I have ever read. And also goes into more detail about what you can learn from his year off. I join Nigel back, asking what his career looks like now. I mean, the money ran out, so I had to make a, make a living. And, and what actually happened was I went straight back into the same industry, is the truth. So, so don't, don't do what I do. Crashing hypocrite. I had a year off, money ran out, and somebody offered me basically exactly the same job with exactly the same you know, demands. I was very disappointed when I read that part of the book. Well, well that, and that's part of the reason why it's been a bestseller. Around, it still sells well, whatever it is, 15 years later, because it, it's obviously true. It's not, and I became a shepherd and aren't I clever. I went back and what I actually did, which was really useful learning, Steve, is I went back into that world thinking that I could do it, but be the only advertising agency CEO in history that picked his kids up from school. That, you know, and, and so that's part of why I feel I've got a valid voice is I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm talking from personal experience. I've tried to do the moronic ignore the category norm. And trust me, it doesn't work. I was, I was less balanced after my year off than I was before because I had higher standards and I just wasn't, you know, it was a disaster. But to answer your, the spirit of your question is what's my career now? I, I do five different things. So I'm a writer. I'll, I've just finished my fourth book for Penguin. Uh, I'm a podcaster. I do a podcast called The Five of My Life. I'm a coach. I coach people personally and professionally. I'm a consultant. I've got my own management consultancy and, and I'm a speaker. I get hired to do speeches. So it's five things. And in, in my life, I'm not saying it's, it's right for other people, but I'm in charge of my life. I mean, I've still got to work to earn, to earn money, but it enables me to be flexible. And part of my message within the TED speech that I think you mentioned you'd seen is it's for me, it's not about a daily routine and it's really important i think that lots of people don't chase a daily routine all nigel tell me should i get up at six o'clock or five o'clock should i do yoga or pilates i don't give it don't do any of it get up at half past ten i mean it makes no difference what works for you is for me i will be have periods of intense busyness because i choose to if i've got to do eighty thousand words for penguin and i've got three speeches and i've got to interview six people for my podcast i'll have a very very busy week and I'm incredibly happy about that because I don't hold myself to a daily routine. Yep. And guess what? The next week I might do absolutely no work. Stay in bed or go surfing all week. Nigel is a naturally funny man and you get a taste of it in our conversation. He mentions his TED talk a few times and so here is a little taster. Up until that moment, I had been that classic corporate warrior. I was eating too much, I was drinking too much, I was working too hard, and I was neglecting the family. Uh, and I decided that I would try and turn my life around. In particular, I decided I would try to address the thorny issue of work-life balance. So I, I stepped back from the workforce and I spent a year at home with my wife and four young children. But all I learned about work-life balance from that year was that I found it quite easy to balance work and life when I didn't have any work. <laughs> Not a very useful skill, uh, especially when the, when the money runs out. I joined Nigel back discussing what his year off taught him. So two things, I mean, I wanted to put the things and people that I loved at the center of my life, not at the edge. And it taught me that that was the right decision. 
The second thing it taught me, really importantly, was it's up to me. This is desperately important learning. I'd, I'd love to tell to other people. So you get to a sort of, a, I don't know, level without being pretentious of enlightenment. You go, I want my life to be a certain way. Now you can get to that level of enlightenment and then say, so what's, who's your prime minister? What's Ardern doing about it? Well, nothing. You know, what's, what's the Veterinary Association of New Zealand doing about it? Nothing. <laughs> you know, and, and nor should they, nor will they. You know, if, if, if you've got a drink problem, you can't pass laws to stop you having a drink problem. You've got to sort it out yourself. And what it taught me was it's entirely fair. Goldman Sachs wants to make lots of money. Uh, whatever the big firms in New Zealand, they're, they're, they're designed, you know, dogs sniff other dogs' backsides in a park. That's what they do. And if you don't like that, you think it's a bit rude, don't have a dog, right? That's what they do. <laughs> so the government, capitalism, share market, blah, 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 they can all try and be nice. And again, I said, in my TED speech, I said about, you know, dress down Friday and all that crap and kin <laughs> right? And, and, and all those things are fine on the top, but it's not the, it's not the, it's, it's not the nub of the problem. Again, if you've got a drink problem and, and people close the pub when you walk past or they hide the drink, and it might help you a little bit, but there's a real issue for you to solve. You, Steve, you alone to solve. So the second most important learning of the year off was actually I've got to sort this out. To pretend that a multinational advertising network is going to sit down and reorganise its business so I can get home for kids' tea is, is infantile. You've got to recognise and be honest the nature. I, I, I did a, um, a speech for horse vets in America. And, and one of the things they've got is, you know, horses are big, so you don't bring them to the surgery. You, you've got to go to where the horse is. And if you get a call at three in the morning and the horse is 20 miles away, you, ca you can't say, come and see me at 9.30. You know, it's, so, so that's the nature of being a horse vet. You can't expect yeah. horses to be smaller or you know so it it's up to you to to sort it out he's mentioned this a couple of times so i'm going to repeat it here if your job does not fit with your intended lifestyle you should not be doing that job don't expect the job description to magically change the hours of work to suddenly reduce and your employer to stop focusing on money it will not change. You have to take personal responsibility for your life. And if this doesn't match up with your job you're doing, you're in the wrong job and the wrong profession. I ask Nigel what he thinks about anyone taking a year off work. I got interviewed, it was actually in Detroit, and I was launching a book over there, and, and they said, so Nigel, I mean, they, they don't have a clue who I was, you know, so Nigel, you know, why do you recommend that an unemployed car worker should take a year off? And I, well, I, I don't. I mean, it's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I, I advise an unemployed car worker to get another job very, very quickly, else his children will starve. So my, my books that I write are humorous autobiographies. They aren't, they aren't, I mean, you can take things from them, I hope, but they're not, look at me, I'm so clever, do what I did. That's just, that's just what happened to me. So in certain situations, it might be a good thing to do. In other situations, hugely stupid. You have, I mean, how are you going to earn a, how are you going to earn a living? I was lucky enough that I'd had a mildly successful advertising career, so I could basically spend all my savings to not earn for a year. Yeah. 
but, but for some people, I would, I would say the very worst thing to do is take a year off. That's, that is not my message. Or just like, I mean, hilarious. Usually in America, I give speeches and I stand up and I say, I'm not here to talk about time management. And they go, but we've just paid you quite a lot of money to, to talk to us about time. No, no, no. You, you paid me to talk about work-life balance. And I view work-life balance as how to live a meaningful life, not how to spend equal amount of times on the golf course and in the office. And if I could make you do your job two hours quicker a day, you'd just do two hours more work, you idiot. Right? So it's quite, <laughs> it, 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 many of the people who talk about work-life balance, I'm slightly maverick and I don't care because this is not how I make my living. I'm just doing this out of love. Talk rubbish. You, you, I mean, some of them talk rubbish so they can make money. Others of them talk rubbish because they're idiots that, you know, well-intentioned idiots giving really bad advice to vulnerable people. So there you go. I mean, sorry, I've come off the, come off the, <laughs> the fence. Is People talk bloody crap about work-life balance, and they shouldn't because it's important. It's about living a life that's meaningful. There are no off-the-shelf answers. And it's, you know, there's morons in the magazines that crap on about their yoga and pilates and smoothies. I mean, it's just it's bollocks. <laughs> if it works for them, yee-haw. But if you're giving other people advice, there's proper advice. You know, do the reflection and think about what you, in your life, your family may have completely different objectives and hopes and dreams and fears than someone else. I mean, not, not maybe, you will have. You know, you know if you want to be at the centre of the finance industry, well, you bloody well shouldn't be living in New Zealand. If you want a rural lifestyle, you shouldn't be living in the centre of London. So you've got to sit down and think properly about this. It's not some off-pat... I, I hate the, the I, 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 on LinkedIn, you get this, this moronic, be a corporate athlete bullshit. It's all about productivity. And there's people that talk about, it's really important that you take your holidays, Steve, because then you'll be refreshed and better at work. As if the point of the holiday <laughs> is to make you better at work, rather than the point of the work is to fund you having a holiday. It's just a completely different mindset. Oh, I could go on a whole spiel on LinkedIn. But anyway, on the subject of work-life balance, one of my favorite parts of your TED Talk is, and we'll play this in the podcast, is when you talk about your perfect day. Before I went back to work, after my year at home, I, I sat down and I wrote out a detailed, step-by-step -step description of the ideal balanced day that I aspired to. And it went like this. Wake up well rested after a good night's sleep. Have sex. Walk the dog. Have breakfast with my wife and children. Have sex again. Drive the kids to school on the way to the office. Do three hours work. Play sport with a friend at lunchtime. Do another three hours work. Meet some mates in the pub for an early evening drink. Drive home for dinner with my wife and kids. Meditate for half an hour. Have sex. Walk the dog. Have sex again. Go to bed. How often do you think I had that day? Uh, we, we need to be realistic. But then you go on to say that you can't have it all in one day, but you don't want to wait until you retire to 
to have that balance. So what do you suggest is the middle way? Oh, that's, that's a good question. And, it, and it's hilarious that that, that that's, I mean, obviously joking when I said, did that bit that you're going to play. You weren't. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I get people, I mean, I've had, as I said, 30,000 emails and some of them are, oh, you know, poor old Nigel's wife, all that section. You go, the whole point was to set up an unrealistic day. No, no, some people say I'm being serious. You go, come on, guys. Anyway, so so the, the, the balance for me, I'm just talking about the balance of the time frame on which you judge yourself. And it's a really important because a daily unit is the wrong time frame. I mean, you, you might have, I, I don't know, the life of a vet in New Zealand, but you might have a, a, a series of disasters, which means you have to do a 21-hour day. And so you bloody should because the poor old cat and dog are dying. But... It doesn't mean that you'd be out of balance. It means you had a really, really busy weekend when all these things happened. So what happens is to make it realistic and flexible. Because people say, oh, you don't understand how hard it is to be a doctor or a lawyer or a vet. So I can't, you know, I have to do long days sometimes. Is they then just push it out until retirement. Which means, well, then you're not addressing the issue. So to answer your question, I use a month. Now, I'm not saying that other people should use a month, but that's what I use. I'm expecting a prescription here, Nigel. I'm writing it all down. <laughs> a month is long enough to be flexible, but it's also short enough to not allow you to live in delusional denial. So just pretend I sit down and I go, it's really important to me that I, I don't know, I spend lots of time with my mother and I engage in my hobby of fly fishing. Yeah, so that, that's, that's, I mean, I've just made those two things up. Right? And then I look back at the end of the month that's just ended, November, they go, how many times have you spoken to or seen your mother? None. How many times have you been fly fishing? None. And you go, well, mate, it's not because you had a busy day or a busy weekend. I mean, you, you say these things are important to you. It's been four weeks. You've done fuck all, excuse my language. Therefore, <laughs> you know, get wise to yourself. But if you said that on a, on a daily or a weekly basis, you could say, on, you know, Steve, you're not being realistic. You just had a busy day, mate. Grow up. But over a month, I think it's a useful check-in. You know, the things that you think are important to you, well, you say they're important to you, mate, but you haven't done it for the last 30 days. So yeah. either change the things that are important or raise your game. And that might mean saying no. It might mean earning less money. It might mean changing your career. If you haven't done something that you say is really important to you for a month, it, 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 there could be a very good reason. But if, there's a good, if another month goes and then another month, and I say, well, mate, this is three months, and you haven't called your mother. So get wise to yourself. Yeah, it's pretty good advice. And as you say, it's not a prescription for everyone, but like having a long enough time frame that people can actually, because I'm sure there would be types of work where they'd be really busy during their peak time of the year. That doesn't necessarily mean they have no work-life balance. It just means at that time they do. So maybe for those people, they'd need to extend it out a bit more. But I do agree with that long time frame thing where you can't, Judge, just because you had one stressful, busy, long day doesn't mean that you don't have work-life balance. That's right. And, and I've, I've got friends who work running festivals. So they'll have an incredibly busy three months because that's, you know, annual festivals, the Fil Sydney Film Festival or whatever else. But what can happen, and I'm sure you've got friends and colleagues that do this, where they have a, a life that justifiably makes them very, very, very busy at certain times, but then that becomes their default habitual mode and they don't realize they're in it they're always running around with their hair on fire so when the festival is over or whatever it is they're still like that they don't go well now's my downtime 
I'm now, that's the point I was saying about if I can make you do your job two hours quicker, you just do two hours more appointments. Well, what's the point? We live in a society that glorifies busyness and overwork. And you hear people going, oh, Amanda's amazing. She works every weekend. She never takes her holidays. No, Amanda's a moron who needs some help. Absolutely. You know I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. And we shouldn't say, you know, that's wonderful. And, and, and I see people in positions of power and influence crapping on about how hard they work. You have to be careful because you don't want to be smug. But there's a responsibility. Success isn't going ever faster, being ever busier. I'm not the right spokesperson. I've got perfect balance, mate. That doesn't mean I've got a perfect life. I have got perfect balance. I get stressed, I get busy, but I have perfect fucking balance. And I'm really happy about that. People say to me, are you busy, Nigel? You go, to the, to the extent that I'd like to be. Now that... That they want you to say, no, really busy, my hair's on fire. You go, no, I'm not at all. I'm absolutely not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. I'm, I'm talking to you today. I've got to prepare for an interview I'm doing myself tomorrow. And I'm going out tonight with mates. That doesn't feel right. Why are you saying that, Nigel? Why don't you pretend to Steve on his podcast that you've got 17 conversations with New York and Brazil and you're really, really busy? Because that's what people want to hear. And I, I go, well, that's rubbish. I've got twin daughters and they're great mistress of their school was famous for being on in, in the newspaper, breastfeeding her second child eight hours after it was born at her desk because she was sending an example to the children of the school, the, the girls' school, that, that you can have it all. And you go, oh my, there you go. Right there is the problem. Right there. If you were the geography teacher at that school, a female geography teacher, and you think you're starting a family, you go, blimey, and I was hoping to have a few weeks, months, years off. Clearly, at this place, I've got to be back at work within 24 hours. And I was appalled and and took my kids out of school. But it, it is, that's held up as heroic. You know, super, superwoman, having an all. And it, it's just all, just the language is, it's for, that Marissa Mayer, the, the lady who's the CEO of Yahoo, she used to boast in interviews that she did 130 hour weeks which always used to make me laugh because if she worked a five-day week, that's 26-hour days. <laughs> and, 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 and Jeffrey Emold, who's the CEO of GE, said he worked 100-hour weeks for 24 years in a row straight. Tim Cook, who's the, who's the <laughs> CEO of Apple, he starts his working day at 3.45. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's quite good. You, you know, I mean, that, that, that gives him time to surf in the morning. You know, 3.45 in the morning, Nigel, not in the afternoon. <laughs> and you go, right, so these guys, what people will say, they misunderstand my message, is they go, oh, well, it's all right for you, Nigel, but you know, I've got to earn a living. And you go, well, Tim, Jeffrey, and Marissa haven't got to. They are worth, together, collectively, one and a half billion dollars. So they haven't got to get up a quarter to four. They haven't got to do 130 hours. Yet they do. And we think they're clever. I think they were a moron. If I had yeah. one and a half billion dollars, I'd be surfing. I mean, what did you do? So it's, it's really insidious. So it's not about be a hippie. I'm nothing wrong with being a hippie, but being a hippie or being the CEO of Apple. It's about normal people with normal jobs and families and lives not thinking they've got to be basically a modern day version of an Egyptian slave. That's, what, that, that's the answer. 3,000 years of evolution, and I want you to work your cock off until you die miserably. And you go, well, I, I just refuse to buy into it. Who, who set those rules? 
And the research shows that after about 30 hours, your productivity drops. And I meet people now that say, oh, you know, I do three jobs and I'm on this committee and I'm up till three in the morning and get three hours sleep like they're a hero. And they look extremely tired. And I don't think it's anything. I don't even give them the time of day. I'm not like, oh, wow, you're amazing. I just sort of like acknowledge it and move on. But you're right. It's moronic. Like uh, Tim Cook, his job is to make big decisions with a fresh mind. So he should be working 30 hours a week and delegating all the other tasks to his employees. You know, there are exceptions in this world, whether it is Elon Musk or Tim Cook or whatever else. My message is to, I hate using the word ordinary, but normal, ordinary people who aren't going to invent a life globe-changing thing. You go, what are we saying to your children and my children is the future of their working life? What have they got to look forward to when they leave school? Is it 50 years of drudgery and misery being whipped and and having nothing to the, you go oh, no i'd like to have a life where we all contribute and there's joy and there's whatever else not this notion that it's about working really really hard for shareholder value market capital i couldn't care less about that no, that doesn't mean they don't have a place but it's like it's out of balance does that make, that makes sense you're, yeah. you're completely right now for tim cook he should do whatever he wants to do. But you're totally right. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if he said, well, I'm, I'm on top of this amazing firm, which enables me not to get up at quarter to four in the morning. Now, the first step in solving any problem is acknowledging the reality of the situation you're in. And the reality of the society that we're in is there are thousands and thousands of people out there leading lives of quiet, screaming desperation, where they work long, hard hours at jobs they hate to enable them to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> it's my contention that going to work on a Friday in jeans and T-shirt isn't really getting to the nub of the issue. This is pretty much the heart of what this podcast is trying to solve. How do we change this modern capitalistic society to enable us to live more meaningful lives? I can't believe I said that. That sounds quite sensible. Well, you, you don't is the, is the short answer. And I know that's not what you want to hear, but it is, I think how you approach that is you don't take the world's problems on your own shoulders. You sort out your life. And if enough people sort out their life, then the world will change. You don't do it. It's like waking up going, what can I do about climate change? Well, well, you know, recycle and don't have a horrible car. But it's not up to you unless you run the Chinese economy or the American economy to to do it. So to think that you're going to change the free world's commercial capitalist structure ain't going to happen. If you think you're going to make Goldman Sachs or the local bank, you know, want to make slightly less money, you're not. Now, on one level, you go, oh, isn't that depressing? No, it's not depressing. As I said in my TED speech, that the way of solving a problem is being honest about the situation you're actually in. It is not sensible to expect a publicly quoted company on the stock market to not want to whip its employees as much as it can get away with, as much as they'll pretend that you know they'll have HR managers or whatever, and mental health stains, but they're designed to make a profit. And that's fine. We live in a free world. I don't want to live in Stalinist Russia. So you... you Turn the telescope around and look at what you can do. 
And so, I mean, I, I had a successful, enjoyable career in advertising. That was fine. If I knew what I know now, then, when I was starting, I think I probably could have had a, a very enjoyable career in advertising because I would be in charge of it, but not expect the firm to be, you know, when you get, get enough money as a banker, have you, have you read Bonfire of the Vanities, Tom Wolfe? No. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a story about a banker, he goes into a hedge fund or whatever, and with his wife, he's agreed, when we get enough money, then we'll, you know, we'll retire. You know, I'm not in this for life. I'm just, you know, in it to make my first million and then we'll buy a nice country house and we can be the people we want to be. But of course, it's a, it's a receding horizon. You get one million, you think, well, actually, probably need two. And then, oh, well, actually, I probably need three. I probably need, actually, we've got one house, but we need a holiday. And it's up to you. To, to, so I, I, my life, I mean, I'm not in any way complaining. I live in a nice suburb of Sydney, but there are consequences to how I live my life that I'm very happy with. That there are people who've had my type of career who have dramatically more than I have, and and I'm I'm happy for them. That's that's you know I haven't got a holiday house or a yacht or a plane or I mean I'm not saying that's normal, but as in I haven't got any of those things because I've made the decision. It's not about maximising. That the philosophy of more, more, faster, faster. You can engage in a capitalist society on your terms, but. You've also got to live with the consequences. Back to the, <laughs> the American horse vets. They were lovely people. And, 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 and they were saying, what can I do about the fact that the, these, these are call-outs and they're happening in the middle of the night and how can I have work-life balance? Because I've never seen a situation that can't be improved, ever. I've never seen a situation that can't be improved. And so I suggested this one person, I go, well, you could share your practice. So, so, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're on call and, and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, he's on call. And that would mean that you at least have three nights sleep a week, as an example. And he said, lovely bloke, but that means I'd earn less money. And I went, yeah. Big pause. Yes, it would. Oh, you want a way where you can work that less hard and make exactly, but that's not how it works. <laughs> you go, you've got to, so things that you value in life cost. So having a meaningful, I, mean, I, I admire people, not who say they're really, really busy and they've got billions, but they've got a smile on their dial, they, they're connected with their community and their family, and they seem to be comfortable in their own skin. That's what I enjoy. And now, mm. the reality is those probably aren't the richest people I know. And the people that chase financial wealth, they believe now that half of our um, success is actually uh, social capital, which of course you can't measure in terms of dollars. I can think of a guy on our street who's like the most social man in the world and he's got a modest career, but he knows everyone. He's a local in the community. He's involved in the rugby club, just a real good bastard. And what more could you want in your life? Who, who is winning? So that guy, but at the same time, it shouldn't be used as an excuse for failure, for mediocrity, for irresponsibility. And, and so it's, you know, many of the people who talk about it are the wrong poster children. In, in some ways, part of the reason why I get hired to do as many speeches as I do is, is the thing that you alluded to earlier, is because I've had a successful corporate career. Because I, I used to run a firm with 1,200 employees and 30 of it. You know, it's not, you know, I'm not the local beekeeper. Nothing wrong with the beekeeper. I wish I was. But it's not someone who doesn't understand that stuff. And, and so 
my model choice is, is the bloke that you've described. He sounds fantastic. That, that's, that's the way. But not if he's a burden to the community and society because he's bloody work shy and he's on benefits and he doesn't, you, you know, you've got to, you, you know, we've all got responsibilities, but we've just got it so out of whack. How many, how many houses do you need? How many bedrooms do you need? How many cars do you need? So th there comes a time where what are you struggling for? It's, it's normal at the start of a career for the main motivation to be, I've got to pay for my family and look after them. And they're, they're, if you're lucky enough, which many people aren't, in which case I say, keep on grinding. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what you have to do. There comes a time in some people's lives where you go, do you know what? I might not need more. Everyone else might be going for more, but I might not need more. I mean, I'm wearing a T-shirt and it's not Prada. It's, it's, it's from the swim that I run. I'm judging you for it. <laughs> so, so again, it comes down to personal choice, but podcasts like yours help because it may legitimize people making a different choice to I'm going to be the richest, most busy person in the room. If that's what they want to do, fine. But it's also to legitimize people. It's a bit like I'm really sorry for some women who are made to feel bad because they'd actually quite like to bring their kids up. My wife's like that. Yeah. And you go, that's completely fine. Now, if, if, if she wanted to outsource them to a nanny and go off and be a, you know, I don't know, a corporate lawyer who never saw them, that's also fine. But if she doesn't, she actually wants to stay at home and bring them up. That's no worse than being a massive success in business and earning lots of money. I mean, why would it be? Yet I know other women making women who make that choice feel bad, feeling lesser. How can we get to that stage? What could be more important, more enjoyable than bringing up the kid? So it was just a little bit out of whack. We need to redress the balance. You know, you're very clever with your Porsche and your big house and your holiday house. Well done. But, you know, you've got enough attention. I'm actually quite interested in Steve's mate who lives across the road, who's part of the rugby club and nice to his wife and his kids like him coming home for tea. Without I mean, forcing people to do anything. It's just making people think. The theme for this season is identify where you are currently. I ask Nigel how we can identify where we are currently before making any big decisions. The first thing is you need it to be a private process. You don't tell anyone else you don't show it to anyone else. You know that you're not going to show it to anyone else. And the reason I say that is because then it takes out any, am I allowed to think these things? Is this good enough? Don't go and talk to your therapist or your best girlfriends or whatever. Don't sit down, give yourself, you only need an hour, no more than an hour. Get yourself a quiet time where you can honestly do it without fear or favor. So you can actually say, actually, I just want to be the richest person of my friendship group. You know, that's actually, you know, you, you can admit things that aren't very, or you can say, do you know what? I really hate work. It's bloody stupid in the office. I don't want to bring up my kids. It's to make it a private thing. And then sit down. The second thing, so three tips. First is make it private. Second is there's, there's four parts to a human life, I think, intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But is sit down and think of it in this way. What type of person do I want to be? What type of life do I want to lead? And what type of legacy do I want to leave? Ask yourself those three questions and write it down, right? Then ask completely different question. It comes back to the month thing. So I've, I've written down what type of person I want to be in life and legacy. 
Now, honestly, and it's private, no one's going to see what type of person am I? What type of person, what type of life am I leading? And what type of legacy will I leave if I carry on like this? Honestly. So, so the first one could be, I want to be really, really fit or whatever it might be. And then I never do an exercise. Just, just, so write down the two separate things and then identify if there is a gap. So you say you want to be these things, I don't know, a good father, a good husband, part of your community, whatever it might be. And then when you get to the second list, the actual life you're leading, is there any relation between the two? Right. So, so, and if you've done it privately, you can say, blimey, I'm, I think I'm full of shit because I've said all these things. I don't help anyone. You know, those two lists, it's really, really helpful. I'd like to be the type of person at my funeral that they say, blah, blah, blah. And currently, if I die, they wouldn't say any of those things because I don't do any of those things. Anyway, so write those two lists down. The third thing is then you have identified any gap or gaps that might exist between the two lists. And this is the whole thing, Steve then you sit down and you think, am I going to do anything about the gap? And, and it, it's your life. You can decide, no, I'm not. It's too hard or I'm too stupid or I didn't really mean what I said. But if just pretend you go, I really, really, really want to, I don't know, live in the country and grow my own vegetables. And you go, well, I live in the centre of New York and I'm 40. You go, well, then move. Right? So... so, so my mantra is decide, don't slide. So I don't know you. I don't know what's important in your life, but you'll have things. And if you've done your reflection, you look down and go, am I doing anything that's, you know, I, I really want to go to the Olympics to win the 100 metre final, but I never go running. Well, you go, well, then, then you're a moron. You need to sit down and have a think. Now, many people find it quite hard because it's easy to know what you want to run away from it's less easy to know what you want to run away to. And that's the subject of a different podcast. And, you know, that's why I get hired to do speeches. But, but you know, reflection is the first thing. And then to build actually a meaningful, realistic way of, well, well, how can I construct this life? I was going to sort of finish things up, but I did just want to mention one thing on that topic. And I know friends who are in this position is people know they're not happy in their current existence and they can see what the thing is that they have to aim for kind of like what you've suggested but i think the thing that holds people back the most is the fear of change even if it's positive change people are so scared of change that they convince themselves oh actually hang on my job's all right yeah i'll just kind of keep doing it and then sort of really think about it in a few years time would you have any advice as to how to get them to break that without having those four and um, what did you call them the four yeah, the big four, death, the disease, big... divorce, redundancy. Yeah, I, I have. I mean, again, every situation is, is individual and different. But my advice when I meet people who say those types of things, uh, and it's very specific and it's based on my personal experience in those 30,000 emails that I've had, is start small. Okay? So you think you're, un, you're, you're dissatisfied with your career, your job, your life, whatever, and you want to change things, but it's all a bit hard. You go, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Mate, we're not going to change anything. We're going to have a year where you carry on doing exactly what you're doing. However, what we're going to do is every month you're going to add one small thing in, one small thing a month. And it could be for me, I'm going to turn my mobile phone off at 10 o'clock at night. 
And that, that might sound not much, but trust me, if you're the CEO of an ad agency, yeah, you, you know, but you're going to add one thing in that's going to improve your life in the direction you want to be. Very small. I'm going to pick up my kids once a fortnight from school. You go, blimey, that's not much. Take it really small so no one could argue with it. Okay? You're going to do that one thing for that one month and you're going to keep it. Now, what you'll find is the world doesn't fall to pieces. Nigel turns his phone off at 10 o'clock or picks his kid up from school once. Nothing doesn't not happen apart from my life gets slightly better. So we're going to keep that one improvement and the next month we're going to add another one in and the next month another. And then when you and I come and talk in a year's time, you'll have a different life. So you're knocking off uh, at three o'clock to go to the pub by the end of the year? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you, it's amazing. People underestimate what they can achieve over the long time with, with small, consistently applied changes. I understand why people don't want to kick in their job and sell their house and go and live in a cave, nor should they. Work-life balance isn't about the grand gesture. I mean, it might work for some people, but it's, it's completely irresponsible to say to somebody, mate, you've got a bit of a soulless corporate job. You don't like how your life is, so kick it all in and, and go and leave it you know, on the side of a lake. And you go, how's that going to work? You know, this, this, this is a grown-up <laughs> adult conversation rather than a, an infantile babyish one. Yeah. So, it, you know, calm, reflective. If you can't make a big sensible decision like I'm going to move to the country and I'm going to change professions, whatever it might be, don't worry, there's hope. Don't give in to the philosophy of despair. What we're going to do is we're going to sign up to a program of small incremental changes that we're going to keep and we're going to add to. And although you'll still be a, an accountant or whatever it is that is making you miserable, you'll be a happier accountant. I promise you. That was a pod drop of the most popular episode of my old podcast, Escape the 9 to 5. Nigel was oozing with the good advice. And three things worth taking home from Nigel today. One, spread out the time frame by which you consider work-life balance. Don't aim for the perfect day. Aim for a balanced week or a balanced month. So you might work hard at the start of the week, maybe even doing a crazy emergency shift over the weekend, but then balance it out with a day off. Two, don't take the world's problems on your own shoulders. I see this from so many veterinarians. They don't quit their jobs because they think they owe it to the veterinary industry to fix problems that the vet industry has created. If you're constantly exhausted and unhappy at the end of your working day, you need to make a change. Sort out your life, and if enough people sort out their own lives, then the world will change. Three, if you don't want to wait for death, disease, divorce, or redundancy to force you to change, but are a bit apprehensive of change, start small. It's all well and good knowing about how to improve work-life balance, but how do you actually make change? In going through my own career struggles, I've developed a coaching program specifically for vets to help you design a career to work for you. Based on the work of career experts, along with my own experience in the veterinary industry. In each episode of the podcast, I'll share with you one simple achievable step to help you on your own career change journey.
your next step is define what work-life balance means to you. Next step, accepted. Privately, ask yourself, honestly, what type of person do I want to be? What type of life do I want to lead? What type of legacy do I want to leave? Then ask, what type of person am I? What type of life am I leading? What type of legacy will I leave if I carry on this way? And then identify if there is a gap between those two things. And finally ask yourself, am I going to do anything about the gap? As Nigel says, decide, don't slide. And remember, if you want to do anything about the gap, but are scared of making change, start small. Even if it's just one small thing a month, over time you will head in the right direction. So this week, define what work-life balance means to you. Next step, accepted. That's it for this pod drop episode of Next Step Vet. I'm host and creator Steve O'Ely. Thanks for tuning in to Next Step Vet. If you're finding this podcast helpful for your veterinary career, don't forget to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra generous, a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify is appreciated. In our next episode, you'll discover how to set boundaries from someone who manages a veterinary business as a solo mum. Dr. Marie Holowaychuk. If you're a veterinarian interested in taking the next steps in your career, designing a career that works for you, bringing you more joy and fulfillment, be sure to join our Facebook group, Next Step Vet. There, you'll meet a group of like-minded vets and receive actionable advice to help you in your career so you can stop feeling stuck in your job and start designing a career that works for you. The link to the Next Step Vet community is in the show notes. Next Step Vet is produced by me, Steve O'Ely. Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. Show theme is Symbidium by WMD. And background music is created by Soundstripe. This was a production of Next Step Vet, the veterinary career podcast helping you on your journey to a more enjoyable life.